0: If you would take your Bibles, uh, I'd have you join me in Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 38 in Acts 20. If you're using the blue ESV Bible and the seatbacks out there, you can find our text on page 929. And the title of our sermon this morning is, Goodbyes Are Hard. The keywords for our worshipers in training: our ministry, warning, and sorrow. Last week, we noted that the apostle Paul has now set Jerusalem uh, firmly in his sight. He wants to get to Jerusalem, and really beyond that, he wants to make it to Rome and even to Spain. In Acts eighteen twenty three, Paul set out on his Third missionary journey and he came to Ephesus where we've seen him spend the better part of three years there until Demetrius, the silversmith, set the city into confusion and uproar which led to Paul's earlier than planned departure for Jerusalem. Because while he had Jerusalem in his sights, there was still work he believed to be done uh, in Ephesus But this riot that Demetrius had started caused him to leave earlier. And so he leaves Ephesus and he travels through Macedonia and Achaia collecting the offering for the poverty-stricken saints in Judea. Now he had planned, we noted last week, to sail for Syria, where the Jerusalem church was, uh, from Corinth in Achaia. But in chapter 20, verse 3, he learned of a plot of the Jews to kill him while aboard the ship. And so he went back up through Macedonia and eventually set sail from Philippi. He made several stops along the way. We looked briefly at his stop in Troas, where he raised a young man to life who had died after falling out of a window. Um, but really, that, the, the, the passage, the end of the passage last week in 13 through 16, he makes several stops. Luke does not really comment on almost any of them, uh, other than to mention that Paul stopped there. Paul is in a hurry now to get to Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. And he skips Ephesus altogether, a place that he had spent three years. It seems. Likely that the reason for this is because he knew that a stop in Ephesus would lead to a, a long stay there. One for which he did not have time. And so what he does instead is he, he sails to Miletus and there he calls the elders from the church at Ephesus to join him. And so this is where we find him today on Miletus where he's speaking with the Ephesian elders. You see, despite the the chaos in which Demetrius the silversmith had thrown the city um, as a whole with this riot, Paul had some deep and meaningful relationships with the saints at Ephesus, and in particular, their elders. And now that he's heading for Jerusalem, with no plans ever to return to Ephesus, he wishes to give the elders of this young church a final charge. Uh, some words of warning, which in some ways serve as Paul's final goodbye to all of the churches uh, to whom he had ministered. This is the only uh, speech in the book of Acts given to an, a, an exclusively Christian audience. And it is, well, the last speech that he makes, really, before his arrest. And so, he's hastening to Jerusalem and as we, will, uh, as we will see today, that means he is hastening toward his arrest. And so I want to read these verses in Acts 20, beginning in verse 17. We're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 28. And then we will outline the passage and get to work. So look with me at Acts 20, beginning in verse 17. Now from Miletus he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So I want to take this passage in three parts with you this morning. First, in verses 17 through 27, Uh, we are going to see Paul reflect on his past ministry among the Ephesians and on what remains for him in future ministry. Then in verses 28 through 35, uh, Paul will give the Ephesian elders uh, some warnings and charges in light of his pending departure. And third, in verses 36 through 38, we'll see Paul part ways with the Ephesian elders through great sorrow. So he reflects first on his past ministry, considers future ministry. He, second, gives warnings and charges to the, to the church, and then he parts ways with them. Let's look then in the first place at verses 17 through 27, where we see Paul summarize the kind of ministry in which he engaged at Ephesus as well as what he expected to come as he made his way for Jerusalem. And I'm going to look at his ministry at Ephesus first. Paul describes in these verses both the manner in which he conducted his ministry, as well as the essential content of his ministry. So he describes the manner of his ministry and the content of his ministry. We see in verses 18 through 20 that Paul conducted his ministry in a particular way. He says, first, I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And he makes uh, makes this among them uh, statement a bit more explicit in verse 20, where he says he not only taught them publicly, but he taught them from house to house. Paul embodies well the pastor's call, which we can see summarized well in 1 Peter 5, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And this is the very thing that he calls the, Ephesians elders, the Ephesian elders to do themselves. You know, in many churches today, it seems common to find pastors, especially a preaching pastor, to be fairly aloof from the congregation especially if the congregation is of any substantial size. Now, obviously, there's only so much that one man can do. This is why God gives churches a plurality of elders, right? As any church grows, there is a need to ensure that, that the elders of a church work together to care for the congregation. This is what Paul calls the, Ephesians el- the Ephesian elders as a whole to do. One man cannot do everything. Nevertheless, we do not get any sense from the Bible that pastors are freed from the responsibility to be among those whom they shepherd in order to make sure that they are preaching well. And this is a balance that we have sought to hold on to here at RBC, right? right? While right preaching of God's Word is certainly um, central to our worship each Lord's Day, And and the Lord's Day is uh, is, a, is sort of the central high, it's the highlight of our lives each week. I don't believe that I can say that I have any less responsibility to minister from house to house, as it were, than I do to prepare for public preaching. In fact, it's my contention that at least generally speaking, a pastor's public ministry of the word is best accomplished alongside an active. Private ministry of the Word. In all likelihood, it's, it's impossible to, to find the perfect balance. But if churches can firmly hold to this fact that both are indispensable to faithful ministry, then that's a great step in the right direction. There's both a public and private nature to ministry, and pastors should seek to hold on to both, as did Paul. Paul. But we see that he not only conducted his ministry publicly and privately, but he he says he, he conducted it with humility and through tears amidst trials and even with courage. Now, he explicitly mentions humility, tears, and trials in verse 19. But in verse 20, he states that he did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable to them. In verse 27, he he says he didn't shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. Right To say that, to remind them, I didn't shrink back from declaring anything profitable to you might imply that there was a, a temptation to do so. A temptation to shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Right, But Paul wants them to know that he told them all of the truth. And yet he wasn't a heavy-handed, self-serving tyrant. He when faced with with the cruel schemes of his enemies, the, the Jews here he names, um, he says he, he humbly kept at his work. And and he did so with valor, even through tears. And and so that's that's my prayer for our ministry here at Redeemer Baptist Church. Now, I'm not aware of any Specific present plots against us. But I pray that whether we find ourselves in feast or in famine, in pleasure or in pain, I pray that the ministry of Redeemer Baptist Church could be described as humble and courageous. Even when it's stained with tears. And so that's the manner of Paul's ministry. He sought to to be humble. Humble. To, to work through pain and adversity and to act courageously and to speak the truth even when it cost him a great deal. But what about the content of his ministry? You well, know, obviously by saying he's want, wanted to speak the truth, we're we're sort of perhaps getting the cart before the horse there. So let's Let's think then about the content of his ministry. How does he describe it? Well, he describes the content of his ministry in about three different ways here. In verse 20, he says he, didn't de- he declared anything that was profitable. In verse 21, he says he testified of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus. And in verse 27, he says he declared the whole counsel of God. It seems best in some way to take these three phrases as maybe not saying exactly the same thing, but but more or less, they're, they're communicating the same basic principle. We see repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus as the central theme of the whole counsel of God. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus is the heart of anything that is profitable. But... Paul says it in this way to indicate that he was no one-trick pony. He had a robust message from all of Scripture. At the time, that would have been the Old Testament. He taught them from cover to cover, as it were. And yet, the central injunction to his hearers would have been, repent and believe. Repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ but he taught that message in a, in a robust, fully-orbed way coming from all of the Scriptures. And that's what we want here at Redeemer Baptist Church. We, we, we preach in the way that we preach because of a comment like what he says in verse 27. He didn't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Right? If you've not been here long, or, or maybe you have and you just haven't noticed... We, we are very intentional in our methodology of preaching. We tend to preach through books of the Bible, meaning that we start in chapter 1 and verse 1 and we preach until we get to the end of a book. There's time and place for topical sermons and some books of the Bible lend themselves to that type of preaching better than others, but that is the general MO. We want to preach through the books of the Bible. We also want to preach from both the Old and the New Testaments. We preach from different kinds of genres. We don't just preach narrative. We don't just preach the Psalms. We don't just preach the New Testament epistles. We want to preach it all. We preach the passages that everybody knows, understands, and loves, as well as the ones that are less known, less understood, and, if we're honest, less loved. There are hard places in the Bible, hard passages, that when you read them at first, and sometimes even after a hundred times, you think, Not quite sure what that means yet. But Paul didn't shrink back from declaring the truth of those hard places. And neither will we, God willing. As with Paul, the thing that we will come back to again and again and again is the hope of the gospel through faith in Christ and repentance toward God. And we're going to see that on every page. So that's Paul's ministry. That's the, the manner and the content of his ministry. His, his ministry was a humble, tearful, painful, and bold ministry done in private and in public where he taught them anything that was profitable from all of Scripture, making repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, his central tenet. But what did he expect for future ministry? Well, we see this primarily in verses 22 through 25. And so this is like the letter B under this first heading. He says he's going to Jerusalem. He is constrained by the Spirit. And the only thing that he knows about what is to come that will, is that it will involve imprisonment and affliction. Now why, you might ask, Is Paul so determined to get to Jerusalem if the only thing that he knows about what is waiting for him is that it's imprisonment and affliction? Well, three things. One, that is nothing uncommon for Paul at this point. In fact, he even says that in every city, this is what the Spirit tells me awaits. So this is, this is not old news by any means. But secondly, he says I am constrained by the Spirit. This isn't something that I've just come up with on my own. The Spirit is leading me, directing me, driving me, forcing me. Not against His will, let us be clear. But the Spirit is leading me in this way. I am constrained to go. And then he says, A third thing in verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There it is. That's that's it. That's it for Paul. Why am I going to Jerusalem? Because I have a race to run, I have a ministry to complete, I have a course to finish. And I cannot rest, I will not rest until I do so. Uh, Jesse and I watched a documentary last night about a guy who free solo climbed um, the the free rider wall of uh, the mountain uh, El Capitan in uh, Yosemite National Park. It's like 3,200 feet in the air and he climbed it without a rope. And the whole movie... Um, his friends, his girlfriend, they're like, hey man, I really don't think you should do this. It's not a good idea. People free solo stuff all the time, but not this one. Don't do it. No one had ever done it before. Now, he was a bit callous about it. (laughs) Uh, But he said, I've got to. I've got to do it. He was constrained to climb this mountain without a rope. And he did. Spoiler alert, sorry, if you ever want to watch it. But, but similar to this, I was just, I'm reminded of this as this guy that despite the, the pleas, and, all, and really his friends, they, 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 there was only so much they could say because they knew the more they talked to him, tried to talk him out of it, the more dead set he was for it. Now I'm not saying that he was constrained by the Holy Spirit to do this, like Paul was. But Paul was. Paul was gone because... He had something to finish, something that the Lord Jesus had given him to do, and so he was after it. It reminds me of of what he writes to the Colossians. Like this just it gives you a, a better sense of his heart. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. "...of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul writes, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's life revolved around advancing this declaration. Jesus Christ is Lord. He was not content. He would never be content. He could never be content only knowing Christ for himself. He wanted everyone to know the Lord. And so, onward he went. And as we'll see even next week, the pleas for Paul to not go get even stronger than the tears here. So that's Paul's ministry. That's his assessment of his past ministry at Ephesus, which in many ways just describes the way that he ministered anywhere, but it also gives us a sense of what he expected in the days to come. Affliction and imprisonment. Look with me in the second place, overall then, at the charge that he gives to the Ephesian elders in light of these things and in light of his pending departure. Now, we see this in um, verses 20, 28 through 35. But, but even before we get there, right at the very end of the, of the previous text in, in verses 25 and 27, he, he had told them that he would be leaving soon, never to return. And he asserts that he had faithfully executed his ministry objectives among them. And so he concludes that he's innocent of, of their blood and he must move on to Jerusalem. This phrase, being innocent of their blood, uh, seems to be a reference to Ezekiel 33, uh, verses 1-9. through Paul seems to have that text in mind here. There in Ezekiel 33, God describes the role of a watchman. The watchman of a city was to blow the trumpet and warn the town if he saw an encroaching army drawing near or, or any kind of danger. And in Ezekiel 33, God reminds uh, the people. He says, anyone who heard the trumpet and does not heed the warning who is guilty of his own blood. Right? You hear the trumpet. You don't get your sword ready. You don't prepare for battle. That's, your, that's on you, man. However, he says, if the watchman fails to blow the trumpet and so fails to warn the people of the coming danger... God says that he would require the people's blood at the watchman's hands. And so Paul, warned, he, he's, in, in setting up these warnings, he says, listen, I have blown the trumpet. And I'm blowing it right now. I'm, I'm giving you warnings. He reminds them later in the verse that he had, had admonished them night and day. He says, I am guiltless of your blood. He says, it is your responsibility now to heed the warning and prepare for battle. And so here's the trumpet blast of danger starting in, um, he says this in verse 29. After I leave, fierce wolves will come in among you and draw away disciples. That's the charge. Fierce wolves are coming in, and they're going to draw away disciples. And so here are the charges back up in verse 38 and or 28 and following. He says, "Pay careful attention to yourselves. Shepherd the flock of God that he has placed in your charge." He says, "Be alert." Verse 31. And then he reminds them again of his ministry. He says, remember, I I, I didn't cease to admonish you with tears. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I took care of my own needs by working with my own hands and I showed you how to help the weak. I taught you how to remember the words of Jesus that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It seems that Paul was aware of a materialistic bent that threatened those in Ephesus. Now, if you if you remember when we went through the the letter of First Timothy uh, last year, um, we see this this reality somewhat confirms. He had left so after this. Later on, Timothy goes to uh, to Ephesus, and and Paul writes him a letter, um, and he warns him there against those who see godliness as a means of monetary gain. And so here in our text, in Acts 20, probably five or six years before writing to Timothy at Ephesus, Paul demonstrates that he had been a faithful watchman. And so he calls upon the elders at Ephesus to be and do the same. To be faithful. To be alert. To watch carefully. And yet, sadly, if you go to the book of Revelation and you read the Lord Jesus' rebuke to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, it seems that neither these warnings nor the warning that he gave to Timothy were improved upon by these men to guard against the devouring wolves. Jesus Christ has the Apostle John write to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2 that while the Lord knows their works. He says, "I know your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, you have not grown weary." He says, "But this I have against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first, that you had at first." So he urges them to repent and to do the works they did at first. And he threatens that if they fail in this regard, he will come and remove their lampstand from them. There's much that we can learn from this church in this city, much that relates to us in our day. And we've, we've seen beats, uh, bits and pieces of this over the last uh, three weeks now. Ephesus was an affluent city whose citizens had a great tendency to place their hope and confidence in their wealth. It was a central city in, um, of life there for all people. Ephesus was, was big time. It was a city marked, we saw, uh, in chapter 19 by witchcraft and occult practices. And when push came to shove, literally, in a riot, the city was full of irrational truth haters who had nothing better to offer a conversation than to shout down anyone they thought opposed them for hours on end at a time. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! They shouted for two hours because they didn't want Alexander to speak. They sought to end Christian influence in their own city. Do you see similarities between Ephesus and our cultural situation? All of these things, they... they, they closely parallel much that we see in Western society. We are a radically wealthy people compared to pretty much any other culture in the world today and certainly any other culture throughout history. There's a rapidly growing interest in dark magic, witchcraft, and just general sorcery in nearly all parts of our society. And logical discussions and rationality are becoming scarcer by the day. Just attend any college campus, just about. In this way lies madness, friends. Churches in the West need to heed the words of the Apostle Paul. They need to heed the words of Jesus Christ to the Ephesian church carefully. We must hold firmly to the truth of the gospel as well as engage in good works. Which, by the way, according to Paul in Ephesians 2, God created for us beforehand that we should walk in them. They are not optional. He warns the church in Revelation that without them, without good works, He will remove their lampstand. So the question for us as a church is not just do we believe the right things. Of course, that is A major question we must ask. But a second question is, are we doing the right things? This was a great concern for Paul for these Ephesian elders that they care well for the church. That they would be entrusted. He he entrusted them to the grace of God. In verse 32, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so that's the charge and the warnings. So we have his ministry, we have his charge and warnings in light of his departure. And now thirdly, in verse 36-38, look with me, where we see his painful parting. After his address, Paul kneels down to pray with them all. And they wept because of what he had said to them, that they wouldn't see his face again. Despite the hard things that Paul had to communicate with the Ephesian elders, that from even among their own number, men would rise up to draw away disciples, he still had a great love for his friends. And there was a great sadness that they all experienced at not seeing each other again. And so a a quick lesson that we learn from these verses here is this. This was a heart-wrenching goodbye. And yet Paul was determined. He had been called by the Spirit to go, and so go he must. Do we have that same kind of determination in our lives to pursue the call of God, to follow the call of God? I'm not advocating for a cavalier mystical sort of oh the spirit told me so I must go kind of attitude but God really does lead and call us to do difficult things for the gospel he really does call people to pack it all up and move across the world for the sake of his name he really does call people to go to hard and unreached and dangerous places all right think about this What will our attitude and our posture be when, God willing, one day someone comes before this church to present a desire and an ambition to be a missionary in a dangerous place that is absolutely hostile to the gospel? Now look, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about a shoot first and ask questions later kind of mentality. But surely we cannot simply say that the only missions worth doing are safe missions. Surely we cannot say that the only missions worth doing are the ones that present no problems to our bodies or souls. Paul was adamant, he was going. And so whatever it is, a call to missions, a call to pastoral ministry, a call to motherhood and fatherhood, a call to whatever different vocations you all have, what is the Lord calling you to, and and are you eager to follow where the Lord leads? And remember, how does he lead? He leads through his word and spirit working together. He leads through his church, Right? How did the Spirit constrain Paul? Was it, is it not very likely that he did so in large measure through prophets? Are we to assume that merely Paul knew he was supposed to go because of some inward compulsion? Surely he had that. But we also know throughout Acts that there is other ways in which God was confirming to him that he was to go. So how do we, how do we wrap it up? How do we land the plane here? I want, to, I want to do so by returning to verse thirty-eight, sorry uh, 28 very briefly. Paul speaks of the church as having been obtained with the very blood of God. Now, of course, God can't bleed. But in the incarnation, the Lord Jesus became man and in that could bleed. Does it, does it not strike you that the impassable God, the God who is incapable of suffering, would become man in order that as man He could suffer for you, for us? It is this impassable yet suffering God who calls to you this morning, friend. And so... Have you believed in Him? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus? I expect that most of us in this room have. But if you have not, I pray that you would. And I pray that you would do so right now. If you're waiting for the invitation, here it is. Come to Jesus Christ. Flee to Him. Don't don't wait. Don't tarry. Jesus Christ is dead for you and in his resurrected life holds out to you all his benefits. Come and be united to him by faith and live forever. Our enemy is prowling about looking for a chance to pounce, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. So the issue, the warning has been issued will we take heed is the question. And I pray that we would learn much from from Paul's life and ministry and his constraint to go where God leads even when that is at a great cost to himself. Amen.